And just using the space, it's different than a space in front of a room or in front of a stage or in front of an auditorium. Uh, but this is our space and we have depth and we have width and height. And so we have to be able to learn that that's what we have to work with. I'm David Oti, and this is The Power of Story and Science, a mix of content and conversations on how to bring your science to life through powerful presentations. In this episode, you will pick up on the surprising parallels between host and guest. Both were engineers before changing direction and becoming speakers. Both found help and an impetus for that change through Toastmasters, and even the last names rhyme. Alan Cody talks about overcoming his stutter and shares some excellent speaking tips for today's virtual presenters. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Odie, and on this program, we explore the intersection of storytelling and technical presentations. Whether you're a scientist, an engineer, or another technical presenter, you will find tips on this program to help you connect with your audience so information transfer can actually take place. Your information goes nowhere until... You meet your audience's needs. That's a frequent theme of mine. And today we're going to have a conversation. This program is a mix of content and conversations. And today I'm having a conversation with someone who, like me, is a recovering engineer who found a route to a speaking career through a little organization that you're probably going to hear us talk about. Please welcome as my guest today, Alan Cody. Hello, David. It's great to be here. Well, I'm very glad to have you, and I, I was tickled to discover just how much of our uh, backgrounds are similar. My audience has heard me talk about the 25 years I spent in broadcast engineering, um, not really in front of a microphone like this, but doing the behind-the-scenes technology that made live TV news and sports coverage possible, and then mm -hmm. a training project catapulted me out of that career and into another one. And along the way, I had some friends in a certain organization that I've heard you mention who said to me, David, you really should consider going in a different direction. Um, can you tell me a bit about how you started out professionally and made that change in direction? Well, from the professional perspective, it sounds very easy to say that uh, I just wanted to be a speaker like a lot of other people. Uh, the reality is, uh, as I often talk about, from stutter to stage, uh, I grew up with a very severe stuttering problem. And... Uh, I still think of myself as a stutterer, even though you may not be hearing that right now, David, but, you know, to me, I'm still stuttering. I grew up and going to college, I was the first one in my family to approach a four-year degree in college, and I really wanted to graduate. And when I looked around at the University of New Hampshire, the only major that did not require foreign language for graduation was engineering. Oh. <laughs> I had good skills in a lot of other areas, but uh -huh. that way I could avoid speaking to people. Boy, speaking speaking really people. wasn't. Yes, but yeah. Yeah. Ironic. How how interesting that you would take engineering as what you saw as the easy route through college. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I I wasn't afraid of people. I had played trumpet, and even going to college, I had played Carnegie Hall. I have two record albums. I was a pretty good trumpet player. So being in Impressive. front of people didn't scare me, but talking to them was devastating. And it wasn't 
I mean, it always made me nervous when I stuttered, but it really, I felt, made the other person more uncomfortable than I was. And so I hated watching people feel that way, um, trying to help, trying to adjust, which only made it worse for me. Of course. Yeah. So um, I got into engineering and I was a civil engineer and practiced for about 15 years as a registered professional civil engineer. And I did roadway, highway, airport, um, subdivision, site planning. And I enjoy it to some extent, but it really wasn't my passion. Mm-hmm. And I realized I wasn't progressing in the company. I always felt I could hang in there, the first level of engineering, and then move up into you know, into the ranks. Uh, mm-hmm. But I wasn't moving up. And it was simply mm-hmm. because I couldn't speak. Uh, communication is so key in every job, especially engineering, where you present your plans. I couldn't talk at staff meetings. I couldn't answer a telephone. Oh. There were times I'd pick up the phone and I'd be like, and they'd be like, hello, hello. And I'd be like, ah, and nothing was coming out. Oh. So it was frustrating for me and for um, It must people. have been so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. So I started looking around. And as we discussed, we both found something, I guess, called Toastmasters. Yes. Toastmasters International. And it really changed my life. Uh, it gave me a chance to practice. And again, being a trumpet player, the old joke is, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. 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 And so uh, it gave me that stage time, if you will, of being in front of people and experimenting and trying what things I could do to avoid the stutter. Um, Toastmasters is also a great organization. It's a club type organization. Maybe your friends here know about it, but it's a club type organization, um, typically around 20 people that meet, um, go through a set of manuals to help you develop your skills. It's also leadership, listening, not just speaking. So as you work your way all the way through that, I did all of that and was approaching my distinguished Toastmaster, which is the highest level you can get in Toastmasters. And at that time, I was kind of doing a little bit better at work. I was working in boardrooms and working with our clients. And so things were, were, were definitely shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got my DTM, I remember talking to a friend of mine, a Toastmaster friend, and they said, you know, I'd like to do something else. Engineering was really never my dream. Was it my forte? You know, I've been okay. I've been really good at it, but it's not my thing. What else could I do? I'm trying to figure that out. She said, well, Alan, you want to get them to speak to the rest of us. You speak their language. Now get engineers to speak ours. Hmm. I "I can't do that. That's like, that's like seminars or something. I can't do that. I stutter. She says, Alan, that's in your head. We don't hear that. And that was one of those moments when you realize, you know, things things change dramatically, um, you know, when you're when that happens. And so for me, everything shifted. And I left engineering and went on the road as a professional speaker, trainer, coach, working for Fred Pryor and Career Track, doing 180 seminars a year, full day seminars, business seminars. Well, that'll give you stage time. <laughs> that'll yeah. give you lots of stage time. I, I've it's had similar experience in my life over the last five years. Yeah. And you did this, you did something similar too. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. And what's cool about doing that is if you say something in a particular program, you can say, huh, I liked it, but I could change that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the next day you do it a little differently. So it gives you that, that stage time, if you will. It does. So that's kind of how things started. We'll say. Yeah. So that conversation you had with someone who said, you can go in a different direction. You speak their language. That's uh, that was a, a pivotal moment for you. Oh, totally. And the interesting part is I don't see a lot of engineers in my seminar rooms, even when I teach project management 
or the management problems of the technical person in the leadership role. Here's a mouthful. <laughs> But those are the first two programs I started teaching when I went uh-huh. to work for Fred Pryor. And almost yeah. never were engineers in the room. Why do you think that is? I think like a lot of professions, and I've worked now with lots and lots of different professions, they get their information from each other, and they don't think about reaching out for outside. Like, no one will understand what I'm doing. So how would Fred Pryor know what I'm doing for a project? It'll never work. Hmm. So I think they, they're afraid to step away from their regular zone of, and yet the people that they're learning from probably don't know how to do it very well either. <laughs> so you, mm-hmm. you, you get kind of this perpetual uh, situation. And so engineers have a tendency to collect and speak to themselves. Ironic. Uh, the thing that got me to change my profession is not something I've ever had a chance to really spend a lot of time doing yet. Never say never. Right? Never say never. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, the reason I asked why is I've noticed the same thing in, in many of my seminars. Um, what I've also noticed, though, is that uh, I, I think there's a change afoot in some companies that employ a lot of engineers. And I can say that I've uh, found it very satisfying over the last several years to work with one of those companies repeatedly. They're, they seem quite interested in helping their engineers and other professionals um, understand uh, how to transition from being a technical expert into being a leader, which mm-hmm. requires a, a different set of skills. Correct. So right. to- you mentioned Toastmasters as a place that helped you get the skills you needed to go beyond just just being a technical expert. And, and I don't mean to diminish what you accomplished as, uh, as a licensed engineer. Um, by the way, congratulations on getting your DTM, Distinguished Toastmaster. I don't Thank have you. that yet. Uh, uh, just a matter of time. <laughs> well, uh, it's a matter of time and also of having um, bowed out of the competition side. Because uh, for a long time, there was a mutual exclusivity between competing and being in higher levels of leadership within the organization. Right. Yeah. Uh, for obvious reasons. And um, through 2018, I still did a lot of the uh, competing. That was the last year I competed in the international speech contest and went to the semifinals in Chicago. And I think I, think I kind of got that out of my system. <laughs> well, see, that's I was the opposite. I couldn't really do the competitions, or I didn't think I could do the competitions. Didn't think you could. I only recently had this realization, it's not a memorized speech that you get when you get to that level. You know, you're still living that particular uh, speech. It's live. It's yeah. not a memorization. And for me to memorize or to think I have to consistently use the same word every single time was not something that was in my expectation. That would trip you the, way I look at, the way I look at stuttering is I think of it as two train tracks. I run the same language down two train tracks, parallel train tracks. And when one of them begins to feel the stutter coming on, it jumps to the other train track and that one rolls and then it jumps back. So for me, the concept of doing an international speech uh, didn't seem logical to me. I could act. You know, James Earl Jones is a very big stutterer. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't realize that because he practices so hard to memorize yeah. and to get the speech pattern down before he does his performances. Uh, but again, there are ways to get around it, and you'd find those little knacks or tracks in my case. But I've only recently discovered that the, these are live speeches that are happening as you go and things change and adjust even in that moment and that's how i like to teach and train is to live in the moment in the moment in the moment so maybe i will compete someday (laughs) well you you couldn't have known this but um the episode preceding this one my guest was ed tate oh 
a former world champion of public speaking and a former stutterer. Yes. Ed, Ed and I actually were spending, uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, I'm with uh, Stage Time University uh, with Darren LaCroix. Mm-hmm. And last week I spent a, a program on virtual uh, presentations with Ed, Ed Tate, uh, Mark Brown, and Darren LaCroix. All mm-hmm. three of them are world champions. All three world champion speakers. That's and, right. Uh, so, yes, in fact, I have some coaching coming up with Ed. We have a lot of similarities. He worked in a technical field for mm-hmm. a long time. That's right. He did. And was a stutterer. And he found ways to figure it out a little quicker than I did. Took me into my 30s, but he was much younger than that. It, it sounds like it was something that he managed to get a handle on starting when he was uh, still a I guess a teenager in school right. moved to a new yeah. city and thought, I don't want these, these people to start making fun of me. So, uh, right. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing is with that language, with, with, with the stuttering language is that everybody stutters. It's how you control it, especially young children, four five, six years old that are learning that language have a tendency to repeat words or phrases or syllables. And that's a normal part of it. I just never grew out of it. It's mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I find myself stuttering sometimes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. Our, and it's just a matter of when it, when it, when it, how it triggers you versus how it triggers me. And for me, it, it gets, gets me anxious and that usually triggers more stuttering. More stuttering. Right. For yeah. me, it, it triggers, um, a pause, I guess. And that's kind of a practiced response. I would have to say mm-hmm. something I've, I've learned to do through my speaking. One of the things I've never really wanted to talk about was my stuttering in all these years of me being out on the stage. Uh, I never really wanted to talk about it, but it's come to my attention. That's what people always ask me. How'd you get over it? What'd you do? My brother's a stutterer. My cousin's a stutterer. My uncle's a stutterer. Mostly men, by the way, for whatever reason. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Predominantly more men than women. Um, But I started to break down what things do I do? I can't talk about how to fix a stutter. I don't know how. I went through all the speech therapy in my younger days in school, elementary, junior high, and high school, and it never fixed anything. Once I got comfortable with somebody, I usually would stutter less. Mm-hmm. But the initial meeting would be awkward or a telephone call where you don't know what's on the other side, the unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as I began to break it down as to what things I did to overcome my stutter, I realized these are the same exact things that I teach people about how to overcome their fear of public speaking. Oh. A lot of the same techniques that I teach other people maybe came from my stutter, but uh, interesting enough. That is interesting. That is interesting. So um, does using the telephone uh, still bother you? (laughs) No, it just went off a minute ago and I just ignored it. You You did that very graciously, by the way. Uh, No, I spent way too much time on on, on my phone. But what I'm really finding is I'm loving Zoom. Um, I just did a program the other day on... uh, on how Zoom has been with us since the 1960s. People don't think of it. What's old is new again. And um, I remember the Jetsons. Do you remember them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. With their video uh, 1962, phones. the first episode, George answers the phone, which is he and this woman on the other end. And she says, oh, hi, George. Can I speak? Can I speak with Jane? And uh, he says, one moment. And he goes over to Jane and her hair is all skewed up and she's in her dressing gown and no makeup on. And she's kind of haggard looking. She goes, oh, I'm not ready. And she reaches over in her drawer and she pulls out this mask and pops it over her head. And her hair's all done and her makeup's all on. <laughs> she goes up to the phone and uh, it's her friend and they start talking. And she goes, oh, Jane, you look fabulous today. She goes, oh, thank you. And they have a conversation. The other woman sneezes and her mask blows off. And her hair's <laughs> all a mess and no makeup on. And I thought, geez, all we need to do now is get the mask and we can just cover it right now. We're pretty much doing it. That's right. I mean, isn't it interesting? Zoom can replace your background. 
I'm sure they can use the same technology to re replace. Well, not my face, background. Right? Mine's <laughs> <laughs> no, mine's uh, real too. It's an actual yeah. curtain back there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is my space, and I want you to welcome to my, you know, to my home. So it's, this is this is this is I this feel, is my. I feel very my welcome in your home. I, I do. Um, but again, you know, dealing with that with that concept of of like of like the Jetsons, that this world that we're living in right now isn't going away. No, as you and I both know, as communicators and teaching communication. Through our speaking is that the the writing we lose a lot of the context we get from verbal and visual mm. and so all three go together and that's why there's so many confusions with emails and text messages right because that tone of voice doesn't come through mm. let alone the facial expressions so this helps bring the communication to a better level i believe it really does yeah and it's not going away we're going to no. have this the rest of our lives now as you and I were talking, uh, even when we do get back to the classroom and back to the platform uh, in real world, this will still be part of it. It will. It will, because so many more people are used to it now. Um, and, and all over the world. And all over the you world. Know, I was true. on that program. I just mentioned to you there were 15 of us in with Darren and Mark and Ed. And one of them was traveling between Shanghai and Beijing. Oh, and really? so he was in and out of conversation with us from China. Okay. That whole time that we were yeah. doing the presentation. So again, it opens the world to a completely different level. It does, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. Well, um, even even like, like you to... and I, we're even even like you and I, we're we're a long way apart. That's true. That's true. I'm, I'm in, in Golden, I'm in Colorado. Boston area. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the Boston Providence area, right? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to hear more of your ideas about how a speaker can really engage their audience when the audience is virtual and when they're in a room with real distractions and just a talking head on the computer screen. But before we do that, I'm going to take a short break and we'll come back in a minute and, and pursue that line of inquiry. This is The Power of Story and Science. I'm your host, David Odie. My guest today is Alan Cody, and we'll be back in a minute. You are a knowledgeable expert and you want your expertise to make a difference to your audience but you can't see them engage their reactions. Therefore, you need new tools for engaging that unseen audience. Hi, I'm David Odie, offering you a way to pick up those tools. In my new self-paced online course, you will discover three ways to improve your story, one fascinating tool for hooking your audience's attention, and eight details in your physical environment that will set you apart from other virtual presenters. Today's technical presentations are going virtual, and that means you can reach a wider audience as long as you understand how to serve that audience. So join me for the online course, Own the Virtual Stage. Confidently connect with an unseen audience. Just go to ownthevirtualstage.com for details. Welcome back. This is The Power of Story and Science, and I'm David Odie, and with me today is Alan Cody, who, like me, has a background in engineering and, like me, found Toastmasters to be uh, instrumental in helping him change the direction he went professionally, and who, like me and like so many of us, is now figuring out how the world has changed and will probably continue to use a lot more virtual appearances uh, so, Alan, what are some of the things that you've learned over the last year that have helped you engage audiences virtually? That's awesome question, and I love this. There's so many levels my mind is racing. Uh, my first thing is to go back to uh, President Clinton 
and back when he was president, uh, learned how to use this framework very well. Mm-hmm. You know, he would get close into the screen with his hands up close and say, you know, the world is collapsing and we're going to a major recession. And he had his OK symbol right here next to his face. Mm-hmm. He learned how to give the OK symbol while he was giving bad news and just using the space. Mm-hmm. It's different than a space in front of a room or in front of a stage mm-hmm. or in front of an auditorium. Uh, but this is our space and we have depth and we have width and height. And so we have to be able to learn that that's what we have to work with. It's not just a flat screen. There's a lot more to it. Right. Um, that's the first thing that I have that I have realized. The second thing is the interactive aspect. And there's a lot of speakers out there that are deciding how they're going to progress into the future using this platform. They don't like it. Um, I happen to like it. I can stay home and do my presentation anywhere in the world from right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, For a formal road to travel. Kind of nice, isn't it? <laughs> you, you, you wake up in a hotel room and say, what day is it and what city am I in? Yeah. Um, and I know you went through that. I was on vacation one time. I was at a Toastmaster inter, uh, a region conference, and I was going to speak in the afternoon. And I woke up at 9 o'clock in the morning, usually when I was down in the ballroom. And I woke yeah. up and went, oh, my God. And I'm running around grabbing my suit and tie and... I was in a hotel room in Philadelphia at the airport, and I often stayed there when I was traveling, so it was weird. So naturally, you thought you had to be there at 7.30. Yeah, and I was already an hour and a half late. (laughs) But with that, though, is that there's a lot of aspects that happen, and the interactive aspect is clear, um, a conversation. And I kept thinking, why is this different than what I was doing even 20 years ago when I was on the road? Um, My style of speaking has never been stand in front of the room and speak as a head Um, even Toastmaster meetings, uh, my seminars, I'm very interactive. You know, I'll see David looking down and say, David, are you you grabbing your phone over there? He's not doing that, by the way, but (laughs) they can't see him. But, you know, the idea of paying attention to what's happening on the screen Mm -hmm. is exactly the same as you do when you're in a room full of people. Um, Mm. That's that's the second thing I would say. And then the third thing I think is... um, um, is you like I said using the space right now? You and I are just having a conversation, but you know, um, you had mentioned the world champion of public speaking, and as they've been progressing this year, they're the really the first class to go through this virtual world this year. That's they true. did it last year, but they really weren't prepared for it. Yeah, this year they've had a year to prepare and to watch how people get in really close to tell you the secret and how they step back and pull back and and they were afraid and they get back in the corner and they hide, you know, and they use the room, the whole space. And I I think that's exciting. So those are a couple things I've noticed right up front. I'm sorry. Those are the couple things I've noticed up front. People are learning to use this new medium. Um, and, And a lot of the things you've mentioned are things that I've done without really thinking about it because of my background in television. I mean, you know, way back as an an undergraduate taking courses in the aesthetics of TV and film, we talk about the fact that you're you're in, even though the the rendering is two-dimensional, you're in a three-dimensional space. You've got this thing called the Z-axis, which is the one that goes, uh, you know, you've got your X-axis, which is horizontal, your Y-axis is vertical, and the Z-axis is the one that's coming right out of the camera lens, so to speak. And you can move along that z-axis and, and that's what you were talking about with people getting in really close or moving you back think i would know that as an engineer xyz you think i would understand that but i've never heard it phrased that way i know how to use it but i've uh-huh. never thought of it that way so thank yeah. you for that david i'm always learning 
Oh yeah, aren't we all? Oh, We're always learning new new ways to uh, to engage our audiences and to talk about what we do. Well, I have a new one for you, David. I don't know okay. if you've seen it yet. It's called Mentimeter. Have you seen that yet? Uh, yes, I have used Mentimeter. Tell us more about that. Ah, I love it. And I'm working with a couple of friends through through Stage Time to get better at it. And regardless of whether we're here on a Zoom call or an auditory call or we're live in, in person, what Mentimeter does is it allows the audience to have immediate interaction as you're doing the presentation mm-hmm. using their telephone. That's right. You know, these little puppies don't go very far from any of us anymore. Mm-hmm. And so now when I do a program, whether I've done a couple with Toastmasters or I do it wherever, I'll say in hub during the introduction, I'll have them read. Alan wants you to take your telephone out. That goes against all the rules. Take your phone out, turn it on. Okay. Mm -hmm. And hit that little button in the corner that says mute and open up because we're going to have a dialogue. And I have that introduction set up right away because I want that interaction. What Mentimeter does is it allows um, the participants to log in onto a Zoom call. They can use a QR code or they can punch it in. And it allows them to get into my presentation. I can put a screen up with a question. I can put uh, answers. It comes into the screen. You can see your answer coming up right on the screen in front of everybody. Um, You can do this projection. You can do it on a Zoom call, Mm -hmm. whatever Mm -hmm. platform you're on. So I'm excited about that kind of technology. That that is exciting. And you can use it before and after the program. You can do things ahead of time, let people know, here, would you answer these questions before we start? Mm-hmm. And you can do follow-up questions at the end. And it all gets put together, and I have a log of all the answers that were put together That's for right. that presentation. That's right. Um, I have used that um, in a, I used it in a webinar that I did uh, that had a, a very large audience, hundreds of people on this webinar. And I, I took a real chance Okay, because I asked them to respond on a five point, it's called a Likert scale, strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, agree, strongly agree. That's a five point Likert scale. So I asked them to respond on that five point Likert scale to three statements at the beginning of the webinar that had to do with how well they thought they engaged their audience and how how successful they thought they were on, on the platform as a speaker. And then an hour later, I asked them to respond to the same three questions. Now, that's really putting myself out there. You really never vulnerable Because I could, uh, as a matter of fact, I moved the needle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I've been able to show since then with this graphic, look, here's how I you know, moved the needle uh, in terms of people saying, yes, I feel more able now than I did an hour ago to engage my audience. And, and mm-hmm. you do it with, with real-time data there using Mentimeter. It was great. Right. It's a little risky, and the of thing, course. Like I said, it also stores the information. So you can go back and review it later right. anonymously. It's all anonymous, by the way. Mm-hmm. No one knows where they are unless you do right. a quiz game. You can do quiz games in it. And you can challenge each other. The fastest person that gets that answer incorrectly gets more points. And you can get the whole room to challenge each other. So there's things you can do that time. You have to give a, a, a some sort of name. It doesn't have to be you, but, right. you have to give it, you know. but there's so many aspects to it. There are, one there. thing that we don't think about when we start doing these is how long it takes for them to respond in their on yeah. The phone. Yeah. It takes them some time. You have to give them time to do that. You have to build that in. 
Um, I've asked open-ended questions and just had people type in responses. And of course, they, with hundreds of people on the webinar, uh, the, the, the responses come scrolling through pretty quickly. But the great thing is they're all captured for me to use later in another presentation or, or, or an article I'm writing or something like that as examples of the responses people typically give me to some of the questions I ask did, about. Did you use uh, Mentimeter, David? Because there's ways that you can stop the scrolling and you can actually control that. There's a, there's a, yes. there's a way. I'll share with you later. Yeah. I'll share with you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this has been a delightful conversation. Uh, I've enjoyed this I've so enjoyed much. Um, is there uh, is there one more tip that you'd like to leave our audience with for engaging with their audiences? Well, I'm going to say right away, and it's something you and I talked about right at the beginning, and that's and that is the camera. And you, being in broadcasting, know this better than anyone. <laughs> but you've got to love that camera. I mean, it's love weird to camera. look at your camera there. I sometimes have notes on top of it to remind me of certain key points. So I'm looking right at that camera and seeing my notes above it. Mm -hmm. It's a little awkward in this world because you're just slightly off my camera line. So if I look at you like <laughs> I am right now, you can see my eyes are off. And if yeah. I look right at the camera, then I'm looking right at David yes. and right at the rest of the world. So again, learning to love that camera and to look through it and beyond it is how you make the connection. And that's where you make the connection emotionally, is through eye contact. Through and eye that's contact. one thing I would say. For me, I also bought a tool called Plexicam. I've, and it I've hangs right down on top of my computer so that I can get it pretty close to your face, but I still want to see your face, so it's uh -huh. not on it. Yeah. But again, it's pretty close to it so I can see in periphery where everything is. And you is. can put it's your webcam right. right there in the middle of the screen. Yeah, so it's right directly as I point right to it. It's right at my eye level. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Technology tricks. And yet it's all about, um, really, I think I, we have to be, uh, have to be honest here. It's all about creating the illusion of eye contact because that is how we build that As connection with the audience. Exactly. The other thing I would recommend to more than anything is a good microphone. Uh, and <laughs> You sound like you have a really good one, uh, David. I, I like my and microphone. And I don't even broadcast. mind having my microphone in the shot. It's a dynamic mic was just designed to be worked close. So I, and right you know, people will put up with, uh, you know, fuzzy photo, but they won't put up with lousy sound. That's so right. again, if, depending on how long you're working with somebody, it's okay to do a quick conversation on, on your laptop mic, but it's not really sustainable. No, the laptop mic is not the way to go. If you're really trying to engage your audience, not at all. Uh, you must have a, you have a good microphone. I can tell because you sound fine, even though you're working a little bit further away than I work mine. I'm very fortunate. This mic is not one of those that has to be in proximity is part of it. But again, mm -hmm. I have some, I have some variable on this where some mics you do not, mm -hmm. and you have to yep. understand what you have for equipment. Um, that's one of the things working on the last couple of months, I have revamped everything. And as I mentioned to you earlier, this is all getting redone as we, as soon as we hang up today, this room comes apart and I'm moving to a whole other location. So we'll reset <laughs> and restart and we'll see what it looks like then. But well, I'm honored that you would hold off loading the truck until we finish this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, this, this has been, been great. A, this has it. been great. I've really enjoyed it, Alan. Um, you've offered such uh, a personal insight into your journey from technical expert to speaking expert. And you've offered our, my audience some great tips um, if someone wanted to follow up with you to learn more about your story or any of these tips, what would be the best way for them to do that? Well, the, the most simple way to contact me and have a quick Zoom conference is to attach or go right to my calendar at chatwithallen.com. Chatwithallen.com. Chatwithallen, A-L-A-N. If you spell it wrong, A-L-L-E-N, it'll still get to me. Uh -huh. uh, I have some other tricks. But uh, chat with Alan puts you directly to my calendar. You match up what works for you, and it will send up the Zoom link for both of us. 
and we can sit and talk and have a conversation. The uh, website soon to be will be Alan Cody at alancody.com is the email and, and the website. And that's coming up very shortly. I'm in the process of rebuilding that right now. Yeah, in the next couple of weeks. Terrific. Up in the next couple of weeks, maybe by the time this episode airs. There you go. So people and always, I like to remind people that you need to look in your journey of life of, to be the next step in your life's journey, to look for the things that are going to get you to the next level. So find those little tips and tricks and tools for what you're trying to do. Look for the things that will take you to the next level. Yeah, that's, always. that's a, a great closing thought to leave us with. Alan, thank you for being on, on the Power of Story and Science with me. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, David. I've really enjoyed. And if anyone wants to follow up with me, just go to storyandscience.com. That's the easy way to find the homepage for this program, storyandscience.com, which is actually a page on my website from which you can contact me as well. There's also a schedule consultation buttons that will take you to my calendar, and I'd be happy to have a Zoom, with, Zoom conversation with you as well. As always, thank you for being part of the Story and Science community. This has been The Power of Story and Science. If you like what you heard, please tell a friend, leave us a review, or so that you don't miss anything, subscribe at Podbean or wherever you like to get your podcasts. This program is a production of Speaking of Solutions, LLC. Theme music by Kevin Lufkin. I'm David Odie. Thanks for listening. 